Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you on this sunshiny day. Thank you so much for sharing part of your weekend with us here at uh, Temple Baptist. And if you are new among us, I just want to let you know my name is Donald, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my delight, my privilege to actually share a little bit from God's Word this morning. We started eight weeks ago a series called God is on the Move, and we have seen it for our own eyes this summer. I've heard more stories about God's on the move in someone's family or in someone's marriage. Or, and of course, we've seen it all through summer because of day camp. Just the, the, the fact, the thrill of seeing so many kids give their lives to Jesus. And this study that we're doing, God is on the move, is a, is a study really of the book of Genesis. We're, we're making our way through the book of Genesis. And to my surprise, I have discovered that Genesis is far more than a book just about how the world began. It's far more than a book just about great men and great women who did great things uh, with their life. The book of Genesis really is a book about the grace of God. It's really about a God who is so gracious that he extends his grace over and over and over again. His one-way, indescribable, immovable, unstoppable, unconditional, relentless grace. And oftentimes it's referred, referred to as the scandalous grace of God. And what has been so amazing to me is who he extends that grace to. As we've been making our way through the book of Genesis, we have discovered that this grace that is extended... Is this extended to those who have failed and cheated and lied and messed up their lives? People who are insecure, neurotic, faithless, unbelieving? People who have their own agenda? People who lack faith? People who are selfish? People who are deceivers? People who have made bad choices with their lives? People who have caused hurt and pain for others? That's who the grace of God gets extended to. That's why we say it's so scandalous, this grace of God. And what we're learning is that no matter, no matter how great our sin is, his grace is even greater. Our sin reaches far, we know that, but his grace always reaches farther. And Genesis really underlines what Jesus said when he said, I came for the, not for the righteous, he said, I came for the unrighteous. And too many people, too many people, too many people in Sarnia think they need to clean up their act before they come to Christ. And what we're learning is the complete opposite as we've made our way through the book of Genesis. Come as you are with all your warts and your flaws and failures because it is level ground at the foot of the cross. This book is about great sin that has met with even a greater grace. We've seen it with Adam and Eve and Cain and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And these are the big hitters of Genesis. These are actually the big hitters of the Bible. And they're in desperate need for the grace of God. And that's what we discover through the whole book of Genesis. I mean, just think about Adam's rebellion is what? It's met with a promise of God's deliverer. Cain has the sin of murder. He murders his own brother. And what does God do? gives him a promise of protection. What? 
Doesn't even make sense. Noah has God's favors lavished on him. Abraham, who God gave a promise to Abraham, and Abraham came very impatient and gets a woman pregnant that's not his own wife. And God could have said, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to find someone else, but he doesn't. That's not God. And then there's Jacob, who, who was a manipulator and a deceiver. It seems like from the day that he was born. And there's God looking out for him. I have so enjoyed this series because every story that we've been going through in the book of Genesis, I actually see myself. And all these stories in Genesis really are telling one story. It's the story of the gospel. The greatest story that has ever been known to mankind. That despite the sinfulness of man, God is preparing to send someone who will come to deliver us all. These stories really just whet our appetite for the one who will ultimately come for us. This book is not a book about the best kind of people who make their way up to God. It's really all about God making his way down to the worst kind of people. That's the story. And we see it over and over and over again in the book of Genesis. The Bible tells us in a thousand different ways that we are failing sinners, but he is a successful Savior. I mean, that's the story of the Bible. Story after story after story. From the opening pages of Genesis to the closing verses of Revelation, we are learning that we are a great sinner, but he is a great Savior. You cannot read the book of Genesis and come to the conclusion it is a book about model citizens and saints who receive blessings from God because they're so good. Genesis blows that notion right out of the water. This book of Genesis is not about moral heroes that we're supposed to make our lives follow after. Every person that we read about in the book of Genesis is messed up. Everybody we read about is a train wreck. And in a sick kind of way, it kind of gives me comfort. <laughs> Honestly, to think that these individuals who are messed up, who are in desperate, desperate need of God's grace. They're flawed. They're failures. They've messed up. And they are in need of grace. That's God's way of saying we are great sinners, but he is even a greater savior. In fact, the book of Genesis reminds us over and over again, we're not God. We are not God. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Dave and Pastor Glenn for helping uh, share this summer series that we've done together. We've had a lot of fun working on it. In fact, you know, this week I actually celebrated my one-year anniversary here at Temple Baptist. And um, one of the things that I really have, have noticed over this... Thank you. You're so kind. Um, uh, one of the things I've really noticed is that really we have a great staff, honestly. You may not even be aware of that. I mean, we have a, a, a lot of fun together. We, we support each other. We encourage each other. We pitch in and help each other. We do a lot of laughing uh, in, our, in, our, um, in our office. So I'm so thankful for the people that God has brought us together. And, and uh, next week, we are going to bring uh, this series, our summer series, to a close as we get ready to kick off our fall. And I'm very excited, by the way, about our fall. Very excited. Lots of things are going to be happening this fall. It's already jam-packed, and I'm really excited about our 
uh, 80th anniversary celebration weekend. And I hope that you'll join us for this fall as we believe together and pray together that the fall of 2017 will be the best fall that we ever had. In fact, I am a true believer that our best days are yet ahead of us. And I hope you believe that as well. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning or some kind of electronic device, would you please turn to the book of Genesis? And for those who maybe the Bible is fairly new to you, Genesis is the first uh, book of the Bible. So turn to Genesis chapter 37. Chapter 37. We are going to be introduced to a young man who from the outside glance seems to have everything you'd ever want. He's from a large upper class middle family. His mom and dad, they, they really love him. This young guy is from a famous family. His father is notorious. His father is a world-class deceiver. He's got a grandfather who's famous and even a more famous great-grandfather. People that would have run into him would have used phrases like, man, I wish I could be like that guy. He's got it all. He's got fame, he's got fortune. Oh, I wish I could be like him. He's got bronze, he's got brains, he's got the whole thing. But when you pull back the veil just a little bit, you realize that doesn't really tell the whole story. In fact, when you pull back the veil, what you discover is a family who has heartache and bitterness and anger and jealousy and envy and strife and tension and hatred, and really a, a very dysfunctional family who has a lot of secrets in their closet. Can anyone identify having skeletons in your closet? <laughs> I mean, you've got that door closed, you've got it locked, you've got it barricaded, you've, got, you've hired security guards to protect that from ever being open. Because you're, you're so nervous, we, we get nervous that if anybody opens that door, well, our reputation will be ruined, and, and then what will people think of us? But I want you to know that there are no secrets with God, and I want you to know that God's grace is far wider, far deeper, far higher than you and I could ever imagine. That's the grace of God that gets revealed to us here in the book of Genesis over and over and over again. And this story that we're going to look at this morning is a very familiar story. If you grew up in the church, you probably have heard this story a hundred times. But maybe for some of you, this may be the first time you hear this story about a young man named Joseph. We're first introduced to him when he's 17 years of age, right at the prime of his life, right at the age when you're making all kinds of life decisions. You know, whether I'm going to stay at home or whether I'm going to move out. Will I go to university? Will I join the military? He's 17. He's got the whole world ahead of him. And he's got lots of dreams for his life as well. He's the youngest of 11 brothers when he was born, the youngest of 11 brothers, and some would say he was spoiled. In fact, some would say he was a spoiled brat. Some would go that far to say. Joseph is the firstborn, listen to this, of his favorite wife. Now already you know that's gonna cause problems when you use favorite wife. Joseph is also um, not just born of, uh, of the favorite wife, but Joseph is actually a favorite child. He's Joseph's favorite child, and Joseph doesn't even try to hide it. In fact, he flaunts it. If you read through the story, which we will in a second, 
Uh, all the other kids have to shop at Walmart. But Joseph gets tailored-made clothes from Saks Fifth Avenue. And Joseph honestly flaunts it a little bit himself. Like he's wearing those threads and like he's on the catwalk. <laughs> have you noticed what daddy bought me today? And you can only imagine what that causes for the other brothers. It does not sit well with him. He's 17 with a whole world. Adam, 17. Do you remember being 17? I do, because it was just a couple years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's what 17-year-olds do, right? We dream about the future. That's what 17-year-olds do. And that's when we first meet with Joseph here. It's one of my all-time favorite stories. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll start picking it up at Genesis chapter 37. And we'll pick up the story at verse 2. 37, verse 2. This is an account of Jacob. Of course, Jacob is the father. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. He brought their father a bad report about them. So, okay, what do we learn right there off the bat? He's a tattletale, right? Tattletaler. Oh, who? Don't you hate those? People that do that? I don't know if I ever... Did I ever tell you the story about my sister tattling on me? Mm-mm-mm-mm. I'm not going to tell it. Okay. No. Uh, so he's already, he, I mean, he's not in the good books of, of, his, uh, of his brother. It says, now Israel, which is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornament robe for him. Some translations say a coat of many colors. And when his brother saw that their father loved him more than any of them, oh, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen, 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 listen to this dream that I've had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood up while all your sheaves gathered around me and bowed down to me. That's probably a dream he should have kept to himself. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Like, will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, oh brother, and he told, to his, and he told it to his brothers. You would think after the response he got the last time, he wouldn't share the next dream, but he does. He says, then he had another dream and he told it to his brother. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing uh, the flocks near Shechem. Come and I'm, I'm going, to send, going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent them off from the valley of Hebron. So I find that very interesting. All the other brothers are working, but not Joseph. He's home with the remote control and his feet up on the end table. And so when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are gazing their flocks? 
And they have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say they're going to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Boy, he didn't see that coming, did he? Didn't see that coming. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Wow. Joseph didn't see that coming. He didn't see that coming. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into a cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said to said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, they richly ornament robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Boy, Joseph didn't see that coming, did he? Boy, that took him off guard. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a cavern caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, bombs, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Boy, Joseph didn't see that coming either, did he? Wow. You continue to read the story, and they actually do it. They sell their brother. And then Joseph, if you continue to read the story, Joseph's brought down to Egypt. He's up on the auction block. He's actually being auctioned as a slave. And, and what's amazing, he's, he's actually bought, he's purchased by Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard for Egypt. And there is a word that I grab hold to all the time. And it's actually found in verse 36. And it's that word, meanwhile. Meanwhile, the, the Mennonites sold Joseph into Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Meanwhile. There's something about that word uh, that I'm drawn to. After Joseph is sold to the traders, we hear this word, meanwhile. Meanwhile, why, why all this is happening, believe it or not, God is at work. Nothing is happening by accident. All happening according to plan. Everything going just the way God intended. God hadn't forgotten Joseph. Meanwhile, while everything else is going on, God's at work. Meanwhile, regardless of what you may be facing to get, uh, today, regardless of what is happening, I want you to remember that word, meanwhile. Because when you feel as though your life is falling apart, the word meanwhile, meanwhile, God's at work. God is at work behind the scenes of your life. He's doing something that you and I could never have predicted in a million years. C.S. Lewis, the author, writer, lecturer, said, trying to figure out what God is doing is like going to the beach 
and looking out at the ocean and realizing that there is so much more that you don't see than what you do see. I mean, there's this great expanse of water, and as great as it is, what you really see is just a very small portion of what really is out there. And when you're going through situations and circumstances that seem to weigh you down, cause you to be in despair and depression, remember the story of Joseph. Meanwhile, God was up to something. God is putting an elaborate plan together. He's up to something. From the outside, from the outside, it does look like God has lost control. From the outside, it looks like maybe God was doing an experiment and it's gone bad. That's from the outside observer. God's not in control. In fact, even in the opening lines of the story, you may be curious and wonder, where is God? Like, where is he? And maybe you're asking the exact same question in your life today. Where is God in this world full of confusion and pain and hurt? It's a great question, by the way. A great question. Where is God? I'm going to guess that most of us at one season of our life have had that question roll around in our mind. Where is God? Where is God? In fact, some of us are still trying to figure out why. Like, why is this happening to me? Why was I treated so unfairly? Why is this world full of injustice? Why did I lose my job? Why did my spouse leave me? Why did my child get diagnosed with a terminal disease? Why? I thought God was supposed to be full of love and grace and mercy. Isn't that what you've been preaching all summer? This amazing grace of God. Well, Pastor Don, let me tell you, I have a few stories I'd like to share with you about why. I would, uh, I can say, I, I can't answer all your questions. But I do know from experience that if you spend your entire life trying to figure out the whys of your life, you will never live a life of contentment and satisfaction. Trust always requires that there be some unanswered questions. That's trust. I mean, we all have had things that have happened to us that we just don't understand. We've all had things that to us seem so unfair. I mean, why do I work my tail off at work? And I try to be faithful to the Lord and, and that cheating, cussing, self-absorbed coworker of mine gets the promotion. You know, that promotion that I was praying for. Why, Lord? Why? Well, here's my advice. I, I say just tell him. Lord, I don't get you. I, I, I really don't get you. I don't understand you. I don't understand your ways. I don't know what you're doing. But, but I'm still going to try to trust you. Even though I don't get it. I am not going to waste my life trying to figure out what you are doing. I'm going to trust you. Because the Bible says all things, all things, not some things, all things work together for good for those who love him. I don't get it. I have lots of questions. And God, my questions demand some really hard answers. 
However, despite the questions I have, I'm going to still trust you. And I think some of you, maybe in this room, if you're completely honest, would say, I feel like God has forgotten me. Because you're in a middle situation, a middle circumstance that you just never saw it coming. Just like Joseph, never saw it coming. For some of you, maybe it was 10 years ago, and you're such a, maybe it's five years ago, maybe it's this year, maybe this month something happened, you didn't see it coming, and you're wondering, where's God? I, I, I just didn't see it. I mean, you would never have picked the situation that you're in right now. What do you do? When you never saw it coming. You never saw it coming. I have good friends of mine, really good friends of mine, back in, in Halifax. And, and in February, uh, they lost their oldest son, 29 years old, had uh, been married for about a year and a half, just a little baby, had just led worship at church, great singer, worship leader. And he, and he walked off the stage Sunday morning and he dropped out of a brain aneurysm. And you go, oh, Lord, how? Why? He's got his whole life ahead of him. And then, and then last week, this same family, who's just now picking up the pieces, has their youngest son die, 19. You go, God, why? God, why? Where are you in all of this? And I'm telling you, there's some things that will happen in life that we just don't know the answer. That's where trust comes in. And I'm telling you, it is not easy, but I'm not saying, oh, just trust. I realize it's a, it's a tough road to walk. But trusting God, even when your world seems to be falling apart. Because I want to tell you now, God is up to something. He's up to something. And that you and I, we just can't see it. Ever feel like, ever feel like you're just on the verge of something happen and then it doesn't happen? I mean, you read your Bible, you go to church week after week, and nothing happens. How long? How, I lo how long am I supposed to hold on to this document? You look at Joseph. How long is he supposed to hold on to those dreams of his? One year? Five years? Ten years? Like, how long? Well, I think we hold on until as long as he takes us home. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Joseph didn't turn his back on God. And it reminds us that when there are things that are so over our heads, I want to remind you, they're under his feet. He really is in control even when it seems like everything is out of control. He is greater than anything or anyone who could come against us. That's God. You know, sometimes we think we're, we're in slavery, like Joseph who was sold into slavery. We feel like we're in slavery, but in actuality, he is shaping us for something greater. Greater than we could ever imagine. Joseph never saw it coming. In fact, uh, next week as Pastor Glenn will be talking more about this story, you're going to see all the different seasons of Joseph's life. He never saw it coming. He never saw it coming. I mean, Joseph, and he goes from the pit to the palace. He goes from being broken to brand new. God takes all the shattered pieces of his life and he puts it back together again.
God was doing something so significant in Joseph's life, but boy, he had no idea. And some of you here this morning, you're stressed out. You're in a stressful situation, a hurtful situation. And some of you, I think, are thinking, God's punishing me. Well, maybe you need to hear today, God's not punishing you. Maybe he's shaping you. Shaping you. Preparing you for something that you could never have imagined. Listen, how would we ever know he's a healer if we never need healing? How would we ever know he's a provider if there was never a situation where we needed to be provided for? How would we know that he is the sustaining power if we've never had a situation in our life where we needed his sustaining strength? Some of you here this morning just need to be reminded, perhaps God's not punishing you. He's shaping you. For some of you this morning, you you would not be on this path that you're on now. You could never have predicted it. You would never have written it. And you're starting to come to the conclusion that his ways are not our ways. And my thoughts are not like his thoughts. His thoughts are so much higher. As I read through the story, it reminds me of something very significant that actually changed the world. Reminds me when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he had been severely beaten to the point of being unrecognizable. And for those who are looking from the outside would say, boy, God's not in control. God lost control of this. As Jesus is dying in the situation. I mean, there's no way God could be in control letting his son on a cross like this. And to the outsider, it looked like God was completely out of control. And yet God was completely in control because he used that situation that looked so ridiculous to save me from my sin and your sin and the sin of the world. I don't know everyone's situation here this morning. But I do know that there is a God who is faithful. And I know there's a God that will finish the work that he began in you. Listen, I am not where I need to be, but thank God I am not where I used to be. Even when, even when you don't see it coming, even when it feels like it's raining, God reigns. God reigns even when it feels like it's raining. Nothing, nothing like pain that can open our eyes to see God. And Joseph is able to say, as you'll see at the end of the story, which we'll look at next week, he's able to say, you know, to tell us, like, you, you don't need to be f- afraid because what the enemy meant for evil, God actually meant it for good. Joseph would say, my pain has helped me see God behind the scenes. He does things that I just don't understand and things that I will never figure out. Life has a way of showing us just how small and needy we really are. It does. Joseph acknowledges that God didn't save him from the suffering, but God was with him in the suffering. It's a good thing for us to remember not only do, do we serve a God who suffered for us, 
but he suffers with us. The Bible tells us that the second person of the Trinity, that God took on human form, that he walked in our shoes so, we could, so he would know how we feel. He, he actually identifies with our hurts. He knows the injustice of this broken world. He knows that even in the bottom of the pit, we may be wondering, where is God? And Joseph would say, he was with me. He would say, years later, I came to understand that. You know, there is a story, or this actually is a story of redemption. Because God is going to use a young boy named Joseph to actually save God's people. And not just save God's people. God uses this young boy, this favorite son, to save the world from starvation. It really is a story of redemption. And you'll find out more about that when Pastor Glenn talks about that next week. All of us probably had plans and expectations about how our life would be, and it hasn't panned out. It's not what, how you wrote it down. It's not the script that you wrote. And life brings you to your knees. And honestly, that's when we can see the grace of God. That's when you realize everything I ever needed is really in Jesus. Suffering brought Joseph to a point of honesty. Joseph really, I think for a while in his younger life, believed the press that he was somebody. <laughs> he was a somebody. But suffering brought him to a point of honesty. Brought him to a point to realize, you know what, I'm, I'm not as big as I thought I was. And honesty oftentimes will bring us to the point of desperation, which is, by the way, the place of faith and freedom. Grace through grief. Years later, another favorite son would be betrayed, sold into captivity, mistreated by his own. He came to his own, but his own would not receive him. This is an incredible story because ultimately this is the story about Jesus, honestly, and the cross. A favorite son who would be betrayed and sold by one of his very own, Judas. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he forgives those who have mistreated him. He forgives those who have ignored him. You know, Joseph later in his life had the power. He had the power to kill every one of his brothers or to save them. And Joseph chose to save them. Yet he had the power to destroy them. And again, we'll get a better look at that next week. This whole story, the whole book of Genesis is about a Savior who has come to rescue sinners. It's a story about how God has come to rescue the people of Sarnia. God in Christ took our sin and took our betrayal and took all the ways that we have mistreated him and others and he took that penalty of our sin on the cross 
and he shouts, it is finished and you are free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for just our brief time into your word. And God, I'm so thankful for the truth that even in the midst of when life seems to be falling apart, when we're just grasping, when we're just holding on, I'm so thankful that you don't leave us, that you're right there in the midst of it with us. And Lord, I, I don't know what people are thinking today. I don't know what's going on in their hearts and minds, but God, for those who feel just the, the weight of despair, I pray, God, I pray that you would lift that burden. I pray, God, that they would recognize this is not the punishment of God. This is, this is you shaping them for something that they could never have dreamed in a million years about how you're going to use them, their life. Lord, what a God you are. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Lord, empower us, we pray, to trust you when it seems like our world has just crashed. Help us understand, Lord, that there are some unanswered questions in life, but despite it all, I'm going to trust you because you're a faithful God and you're working behind the scenes to bring it all to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.